All right, so here we go. Um, Sally, if you would, go ahead and bring up the, uh, the, the central statement because it's kind of long. All right, so if anybody did want to take notes, it's up there, okay? All right, so um, John was driving home late one night when he, he picked up a hitchhiker. All right, and, and as they rode along, he began to be suspicious of his passenger. John checked to see if his wallet was safe in, in the pocket of his coat that was on the seat between them, but it wasn't there. Uh-oh. So he slammed on the brakes. He ordered a hitchhiker out and said, hand over the wallet immediately. The frightened hitchhiker handed over a billfold and John drove off. When he arrived home, he started to tell his wife about the experience, but she interrupted him saying, before I forget, John, do you know that you left your wallet at home this morning? <laughs> he robbed him, right? Um, have you ever been falsely accused of something that you didn't do? You don't have to share, all right? But uh, it's not fun, right, to be falsely accused? You, maybe you're the one that was in class sitting near the person who was talking and it wasn't you. Um, I, I may, I think I've told this story before, and I know I was going to tell it to right now, but, um, I mean, you know, we're eating afterwards, so we can stay till like, 3, so no big deal. Um, I'm just playing, just playing, all right? Chase, like, man, I don't know why I'm not coming back here. Um, but uh, I can remember in college, at North Florida Junior College, it was the first day of English 2. All right, and um, there was a whole group of Hamilton County boys behind me, and our classmates, okay, behind me. And I promised Dane I wasn't the one talking, okay. I was sitting kind of in the middle, kind of the front of that back group, you know. I was close enough to them, but maybe I should have distanced myself more in, in retrospect. But I promise I wasn't saying a word, okay. And I even turned around. They were still talking. Like, and this, she's starting her semester out, and this is the first day, and this is what's happening. And I was like, man, y'all need to be quiet, man. She's trying to talk. And I said that. And then the, the teacher said, glasses on. She said, uh, Mr. Murphy, um, you can leave. So I got kicked out of class. Alex, like, your teacher got kicked out of class in college, man. All right? And I'm like, I didn't do I didn't. I, I wasn't. They were the one talking, not me. And so they were laughing uh, while, while I got uh, walked out. Side note, my, my best friend Scott joined me in like, like five minutes later uh, playing. And we just played pool. That's what happened. So I got, I, he said, he said, I got kicked out too. He said, I stood up, and he was like, you want to join your friend? He said, I said, he said, yeah. Um, but anyway, not a good example. But, uh, you know, name-calling, uh, sticks and stones hogwash, you know. Word, words really do hurt, um, especially when those words are, are lies, you know. And I don't want to go too great detail here because I know it's a movement that has helped women uh, out, but there has also been some men who have been falsely accused in the, in the Me Too movement. Now, not, not a large percentage, but there have been some. But the whole point is false accusations, okay? That's our main, that's the number one point today, our first point today, not, not really the main thing, but uh, that we're going to look at. And so in our passage today, and, and Mr. Loris, all right, thumbs up today, right? You already see it. Jesus faces accusations, and then he's going to answer those who attributed his work to Satan. And we'll have a, a, a brief one. This will be like our shortest one uh, where he admonishes the religious leaders about the unforgivable sin. We're not going to go in great detail there, but we will mention it. And then he makes an appalling statement about true family relationships that uh, will apply. I mean, of course, all of it applies to us, but that one will directly affect you as you realize that you're all, if you have accepted Christ, you are part, a member of the family of God like we sang this morning. Amen. So let's, let's get in it, and we are in the 13th um, sermon. Uh, we're at the end of Mark chapter 3, so we're going to finish the third chapter. 
start the fourth chapter. So at this rate, we'll be done in about 60 weeks, okay? All right, just saying. Okay, all right, there you go, right, Mr. Mike? Amen, okay. All right, um, Mark 3, verses 20 through 22. Jesus entered a house, and the crowd gathered again so that they were not even able to eat. Okay, so they entered a house, and we're going to see that we don't really know what house it is. Could have been his house, could have been Peter's house, not real sure. But he wasn't even able to eat, okay? Um, when his family heard this, they set out to restrain him because they said, he's out of his mind. The scribes who had come down from Jerusalem said, he is possessed by Beelzebul, and he drives out demons by the ruler of the demons. So, I, and I've mentioned this before, and I'm not trying to belabor it, but it goes with this today. Is that I, And I don't mean anything bad by this, but it was just the truth. When I coached basketball here, I had more respect outside of the county than I had in the county. I just did. Okay, I, I would sometimes get booed uh, at, at Hamlin County uh, during the playoffs when they actually announced uh, the coach's name, which always broke my heart because I, I, I'm a people pleaser. So I was like, oh, why you, why you hate me? But uh, you know, but I always, but when I left the county, I always felt you know a lot of respect, and you know, and so um, Jesus. That's why I think it kind of hurts. Uh, I, I think it must have hurt Jesus uh, a good bit that. He faces accusations from two sets of people, family, family, and then religious leaders. And so let's, let's look at the accusations from family. I think it's the next. There you go. Doing great, babe. Mark only tells us again that he just entered a house, not real sure. Uh, and the crowd pressed up against him so much that he couldn't even eat. Okay, so I don't really under, I mean, understand that except this, he couldn't hardly eat by the time. I don't know. I mean, I had to be pressed pretty hard for me not to be able to eat because I'm hungry, Alex, I'm going to eat, especially if it's like a steak, okay? I'm just playing. But anyway, um, but he didn't have time or place to do so. And this bothered Jesus' family members. Now, we're not told why this bothers them, okay? Uh, uh, only that they set out to restrain him and said that he was out of his mind, all right? Now, uh, why would they have done these things? Let's, let's speculate for a moment, okay? Um, this could have come from a good heart. They, they are perhaps concerned for Jesus' well-being uh, because, as, as Carson speculated, they feared that overwork may have affected him mentally. Right? Not really sure. Again, speculation. On the other hand, the Faith Life Study Bible speculates that they, speculates that they may have wanted to save their reputation because the political ramifications uh, of Jesus' action, actions and his teaching could have caused his family to attempt to restrain him for fear of reprisal from Roman authorities or local Jewish leaders. So they won't get him back or whatever. So we're, we're, we're not real sure. Um, alternately, we, we very well could have been that they, they did not believe Jesus all right, at that time. We're going to see that change later. Okay, But in John 7, 5, it says, for not even his brothers believed in him. Okay, So uh, that's possible as well. And so attempted to silence him. They attempted to silence him to avoid being ostracized from the religious system, maybe, believing that it too would reject him. So we're not real sure. Again, the Faith Life Study Bible says, since Jesus has been at the center of a crowd almost continuously since his first teaching in Capernaum, it is unclear why his family reacts now. Not real sure. There's been people around him for a while, right? But Brother Tommy, we saw them pressed up. He didn't get them on the boat. You know, we've seen uh, all sorts of things here. We're not real sure what the reason was. But what I put here is that it was still preach, you know, and it preached to me anyway. Do we let fear stop us from being used by God? Because like ultimately, that's what, I feel, that's what I feel like. I feel like they were, they were afraid. Uh, or, we're not we're sure, but uh, what, what spoke to me was the idea of, of not letting fear uh, stop you from being used by God. 
Mr. Edwards says, James Edwards says, the Greek wording is even more explicit uh, when it says refrain. It says they went to seize him, seize him, uh, believing that Jesus had gone berserk. Okay. It was, again, it had to be far more painful and challenging for Jesus to deal with the way his own people rejected him. As Cole said, Jesus may have been speaking of his own experience whenever he said this in Matthew 10, verse 36, and a man's enemies will be the members of his household. It, 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 it's it's going to happen. It could happen. Accusations from religious leaders. How about that? So look at that. So that had to be tough. You know, when it's from your family, you know, they're supposed to be the ones that got you, had your back, you know, all the time. And then religious leaders. Uh, did you know that the great preacher D.L. Moody was actually called Crazy Moody? Crazy Moody, that was his nickname by people in Chicago. And even Paul was called mad. Right? See this right here, right here, Acts 26, verse 24 and 25. As he was saying these things in his defense, Paul, Festus ex exclaimed in a loud voice, You're out of your mind, Paul. Right? Too much study is driving you mad. It's making you crazy. Right? But Paul replied, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus. On the contrary, I'm speaking words of truth and good judgment. And it's not up there, Sally, but 2 Corinthians 5.13 says, for if he, Paul was speaking to the people in, in Corinth, he says, for if we are out of our mind, it is for God. Okay? But at the same time, uh, Cole said again uh, that Jesus threatened the status quo of the religious leaders. He was threatening to them. And what he was saying, what he was doing. And the fact that the scribes came down from Jerusalem uh, could indicate that this was an official thing. Okay, We're going to send some people down there. We're going to check out this Jesus guy. Okay, we're going, it's an official delegation. Um, we're, sent, you know, we're going to observe him. We're going to assess his ministry and, and maybe to see if Capernaum should be declared a seduced city or a, a prey of an apostate preacher, according to Lane. So Mark 3, verse 22 says this. The scribes who had come down from Jerusalem said he is possessed by Beelzebul and he drives out demons by the ruler of the demons. And apparently... By the way, this may have happened right after Jesus did this. You'll see this in Matthew 12. So according to history, this, what we've talked about already, <coughs> excuse me, happened right after this. Okay? Then a demon-possessed man who was blind and unable to speak was brought to him. He healed him so that the man could both speak and see. All the crowds were astounded and said, Could this be the son of David? When the Pharisees heard this, they said, this man drives out demons only by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons. So we see in the matching up there, Matthew and Mark. But after, again, after Jesus does an amazing thing, right, we have these leaders questioning him. Okay? The blindness of those leaders, of those religious leaders, makes me think of the following. A man was walking through the park and came upon a young boy seated on a bench. He, lying at the boy's feet was a beautiful great dane. <clears throat> does, you, does your dog bite? Bye, asked the man. The boy replied, nope. So the man leaned down to pat the magnificent animal on his head. The dog took one look at the protruding hand, growled, and lunged at the man, taking a healthy chomp on his arm. Hey, I thought you said your dog didn't bite. The man said, he doesn't. This isn't my dog. So, so obviously, assumptions can, can be misleading. And, they, they, you know, the, the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders had assumptions, you know, about Jesus. And, and what they saw, you know, it's like, it's like they, they couldn't even see it. I don't know. It doesn't understand. I don't understand Jesus. May, you know, they're blinded. Um, ESV Study Bible puts it this way. And I like, uh, I like the end of this. It said, the Pharisees were unable to recognize that God was doing something unique in the teaching and works of Jesus. So they attributed his powers to the only other existing source, 
since they could not deny the reality of the miraculous works that Jesus had done. goes on to say, But the truthfulness of Jesus' teaching, the moral excellence of his character, and his ministry of doing good should have convinced them otherwise. And we've talked about that already. This, he, he, was, he was perfect. And his character and the truthfulness of his teaching, all that should have been enough to convince them that he is who he says he was. But it didn't. See, these religious leaders didn't deny the power of Jesus. They just attributed this power to Satan, which is the next thing we're going to look at. Next five verses, look in verse 23. So he summoned them and spoke to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is finished. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his possessions unless he first ties up a strong man. Then he can plunder his house. So, uh, and I know everybody here, a lot of y'all have played on a team before, and I can tell you from personal experience, from the teams I coached, the the better teams were the ones that were closer together, all right, Uh, who who got along with each other, that it was easier to to bond as a team and to not have these divisions. A a divided team is is most of the time not going to be successful, definitely in my experience, okay? But Jesus answers, number two, if you took notes, if you're taking notes, he answers those who attributed his work to Satan. says he drives out demons by Beelzebul. And he says, wait, what? He says, that doesn't make sense. I love his response. It's like, what you're saying doesn't even make sense. All right? Um, these aren't the first parables used in the book of Mark, but it's the first time that Mark actually mentions them as such. He said, so Jesus told him a parable. Jesus makes a simple point that there's no way he was of Satan because if so, that would make the house divided. Okay? Uh, uh, Satan couldn't drive out Satan. Divided kingdoms don't stand. Jesus then goes further to basically say that he was already defeating, he has already defeated a strong man, which is Satan. That's who, that's who the strong man is in that, in, in, that, in that scripture there. Therefore, Jesus is stronger. He is divine. Amen? He had already cast out demons many times. But, and plus, this was also prophesied many years prior in Isaiah chapter 49, verses 24 to 26. If you read it on the screen with me, it says, Can the prey be taken from a mighty man or the captives of a tyrant be delivered? For this is what the Lord says. Even the captives of a mighty man will be taken and the prey of a tyrant will be delivered. Excuse me. I will contend with the one who contends with you, and I will save your children. I will make your oppressors eat their own flesh, and they will be drunk with their own blood as with sweet wine. Then all humanity will know that I, the Lord, am your Savior and your Redeemer, the mighty one of Jacob. And we see that we know how the book ends, right? We know how the book ends, right, Brother, Brother Rick? Uh, Revelation 20, verses 1 through 3. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key to the abyss and a great chain in his hand. He seized a dragon, the ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan, and bowed him before a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss, closed it, and put a seal on it so that he would no longer deceive the nations until a thousand years were completed. See, we, we know who wins. Amen? David Gusick said, Then he will plunder his house. See, Jesus looked at every life delivered from Satan's domination and said, I'm plundering the kingdom of Satan one life at a time. I love that. Okay, one life at a time. There is nothing in our life that must stay under Satan's domination. The one who binds the strong man and, quote, will plunder his house is our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Satan doesn't own you if you are a child of the risen king. Satan doesn't own you. 
So I, I don't know if there's anything that maybe something that's that is trying to bind you today. Whatever that is, give it to Jesus. Give it to Jesus. You are a child of the King. Amen. All right. Number three. Okay. We'll look at this, and again, we're not going to spend a great deal of time here. All right? Although I do uh, like to, a lot of times I treat Sunday mornings like Bible study. All right, uh, we're not going to spend a great bit of time, but I do want to touch on it. Let's look at the next three verses. Truly, I tell you, people will be forgiven for all sins and whatever blasphemies they occur. They utter, excuse me. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin because they were saying he has an unclean spirit. Again, not going to spend a lot of time here, but Jesus admonishes the religious leaders about the unforgivable sin. So it's almost like he, he seems to, to take a, a dirt road here, like a dirt uh, a digression. Um, let me preface this by saying that this is extremely controversial, okay? And I'm not a, I, I didn't go to Bible college, okay? I, I read my Bible, but I didn't go to college. But I, I have studied and, and, and I've uh, concluded uh, from that that I, I, I basically see two main things, uh, things here. Right? The CSB study says it this way, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is basically attributing Jesus' works to Satan, therefore claiming that Jesus was empowered by evil, the opposite of who he is. Okay, uh, And uh, the persistent, the second thing is this, the persistent and unrepentant resistance against the work of the Holy Spirit and his message concerning Jesus, this, Jesus says, will not be forgiven. The person who persists, listening, listen, and hardening, hardening his heart against God consistently, persistently, against the work of the Holy Spirit and against the provision of Christ as Savior is outside the reach of God's provision for forgiveness and salvation. Christians often worry that they have committed a sin, but such a concern is itself evidence of an openness to the work of the Holy Spirit. Right? Now, I don't want you to question all right. it, the fact that that you would be, you know, you that, again that you would feel remorse for your sin is evidence that the Holy Spirit is at work in your life. That's that's not what we're talking about here. David Gusick again, I use him again a lot today. But he says this: the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit will not will never be forgiven, not because it is a sin too big for God to forgive, but but because it is an attitude of heart that cares nothing for God's forgiveness. Okay. Don't care about God's forgiveness. I don't want God's forgiveness. I don't ever want God's forgiveness. Um, and this one statement, I, I think, really sums it well. It never has forgiveness because it never wants forgiveness God's way. I think that's uh, very well said. See, as, as Ironside said, these words were never intended to torment anxious souls, honestly desiring to know Christ. Because he will reveal himself to us. In our passage today, Jesus faces accusations. He, he answers those who attribute his work to Satan. He admonishes the religious leaders. And then he makes an appalling statement about true family relationships. Let's look at those last five verses in chapter 3. His mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent word to him and called him. Now, by the way, this could have been the same group, or it could have been more people added to the first group that we talked about today. A crowd was sitting around him and, and told him, Look, your mother... Your brothers and your sisters are outside asking for you. He replied to them, Who are my mother and my brothers? Looking at those sitting sitting in a circle around him, he said, Here are my brother. I hear excuse me, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. So point number four is he makes an appalling statement about true family relationships. And realizing that during that time family would have been huge. Even I think I think the same way in the South, wouldn't you agree? All right, you know, family is so important in the South. And that's a good thing. 
Okay, all you got to do is listen to a country song, right? All right, I love a good country song. We're li we're listening to more of it nowadays. Uh, uh, here we got Kayla and I both got where we like them pretty good bit. But it, it's it's possible again that these were more family members who weren't present earlier. Now now Jesus wasn't being rude, and he and he's not just throwing regular family by blood situations out as unimportant. He, he, that's not what he's saying. They just weren't as important as what his family has as his heavenly father would have wanted. See, there was there may come a time where a person has to decide what's more important, blood family or what God wants. But hopefully that never happens. Hopefully that doesn't happen. Because hopefully if we do our best to raise our children and strengthen our mission of the Lord, that won't happen. There won't be that conflict. But I've seen, I've seen examples. Hey, and it's kind of like an oh me instead of an amen. But, you know, Sally will, knows what I'm talking about. But there was a time we went to camp and... Uh, you know, and went to camp. I know it's a, that's a spiritual experience, and you know you're away from your you're away from what distracts you in, in the real world when you're at camp. But we had somebody. We had we had a, a young lady who was man. Her, she was like, I, I really feel like God's called me to be a missionary. You know, and we we prayed with her. You know, and uh, we, we're like, wow. You know, that's 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 awesome. You know, we're gonna pray for you. We're gonna, we're gonna tell your parents. You get home and we told the parents, and uh, and the parents basically like nipped that in the bud. And I was like, well, I'm not real sure that's what God was saying to you, you know, or whatever. And I'm like, wow, you know. And, 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 I, and it's, at the time, I didn't understand it, you know, uh, that much. But I, I have two over here, you know. I have two beautiful little girls. And I'll be honest with you, it would be very difficult for me if, if God called them uh, somewhere dangerous or uncomfortable. But I, I pray that I'll have the strength to, to let them go anyway. Amen. To let them obey God. And see, um, then it would be, it had been such a, a shocking statement because um, family was extremely important. In fact, a person's family determined their identity and social standing. You know, that, that, that's, it, was, it was huge. Um, you know, it makes me think of like one of my favorite, we always had t-shirts, you know, for basketball team. My favorite shirt that we had as a team was my last year, and I still have it. It's a black shirt that simply says family. That's all it says. And, and halfway through the year, my last year, we just started wearing that. Like, I don't know what happened. I don't know if the captains decided to do it. We had shirts to wear, you know, but, you know over our jerseys, you know, already. But they, they just wanted to wear family every time. When we went to state, they wanted to wear family. That's when they wanted to wear. They supported. Well, what did, what, what did Jesus say? He did, whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. John 15, verse 14 says this, You are my friends if you do what I command you. Y'all remember the song, Black Sheep, speaking of country music, you know, John Anderson, right? Black Sheep of the Family. I'm the black sheep of the family. Sing it, Mr. Tommy. You know that song. You probably was a black sheep. I'm just playing, but I, I had to throw it at you. All right? But, you know, the, the black sheep, right? The, the person who, who, uh, who's, who's everybody else in the family is ashamed of. All right? Listen to what Hebrews 2, 11 and 12 says. For the one who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one father. That is why Jesus, listen, is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will sing hymns to you in the congregation. See, there are no black sheep in his family. Now, we're, we're, we're all black sheep, basically. God accepts us anyway. But, but he's not ashamed of any of us. Amen? Matthew Henry said, It's a great comfort to all true Christians that they are dearer to Christ than mother, brother, or sister as such, merely as relations in the flesh would have been, even had they been holy. Blessed be God, this great and gracious privilege is ours, even now, 
For though Christ's bodily presence cannot be enjoyed by us, His spiritual presence is not denied us. Amen. I have a really short video that you may have seen. Okay. Uh, this young girl was um, was kind of part of the family, you know, and, and, and they they gave her a gift. She was opening up opening up gifts one day, and and uh, y'all may have seen this, but this is this is what happened, Sally. hear what she said I'm going to be adopted she found out there that she was going to be adopted and you see her how her overwhelming response um, it, it almost gets me every time all right but speaking of that as we're closing today Romans 8 15 through 16 says for you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear instead you received a spirit of adoption by whom we cry out Abba father the Spirit Himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. Amen. Is is our is 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 our response to that as joyful as that little girl's response? You know, and, and that is an all that's awesome. That's awesome, right? You know, to be adopted by um, you know by a family, a, a real family is is that's amazing. But do we have that same response to Jesus? The fact that we're adopted into God's family. All right, we're no longer um, <coughs> on the other side there. <coughs> Excuse me. See, the good news is, by the way, just a little bit of note here for you because I kind of bashed them earlier, but the good news is is that some of the brothers of Jesus did believe him later on. Okay? Uh, James and Judas, who probably wrote the book Jude, by the way. All right? Look at Acts 1.14. It says this, they, were all, they all were continually united in prayer along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Pretty awesome. In our passage today, Jesus faced accusations. He answered those who attributed his work to Satan. He admonished the religious leaders about the unforgivable sin, and he makes an appalling statement about the true family relationships. I'm, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. Amen. See, I'm a child of God. You're a child of God if you've accepted Christ as your Savior. You're an insider. And as we close today, it makes me think of, and I know some of y'all are, are heathen and, and um, really not saved because you're not a Gator fan, but uh, I'm just playing. I'm just playing. Some of y'all, I, I see my vision, uh, it's already shaking. He had, me t I had, he had me till the end, Mr. Patrick, but not, I'm just playing, brother. But I, was, uh, I always wondered what it would be like to be, you know, to sit in the, in the high seats, you know what I mean? Like up there in the closing part, in the stadium club, whatever, you know. Well, I got an opportunity to do that a few years ago. Uh, Mr. Billy Blair uh, donated some uh, some some uh, tickets to us, and we got to go. And it was so cool, man! Like it was like sitting at a house, uh, but except they gave you food, you know. It, it was anything you wanted, man. You got to eat. Yeah, I mean, it was everything was free. It was you know, it's already paid for by somebody else, which that'll preach, amen. But uh, I was an insider, Miss Jan. I was on the inside. I wasn't outside anymore. I was the insider, and it came with certain privileges. It reminds me also of a time uh, as towards my end of the year, into my career as coaching, 
there was one young man, and, and I'm not going to call his name because he might be watching it, but one young man didn't play basketball, right? Um, and uh, he was, he didn't have the grades to. He had played before, but that year he didn't have the grades. He should have been on the team that was practicing in the gym. And, and I don't know how he got in the gym. The door must have been unlocked in the front, in the front lobby. And I could see during practice, I, I see somebody, I see, you know, in there. And I'm like, who, who, who's in the foyer? Who, who's in there? And we're still practicing. And I, keep work, I keep running practice. I'm like, who is in there? Well, this young man who should have been on the team, right, he was just looking through the, the, little, the little window about this big. I mean, this peering through watching. You could see the look on his face was, man, I wish I was in there. Man, I'm an outsider. I was an insider. Right, now I'm an outsider, and I want to be an insider. Y'all get it? See, James Edwards says, anyone can be an insider who sits at Jesus' feet and does the will of his Father, and no one can be an insider who does not. Right, you've not accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. Are you truly a child of God? And, and I asked um, Alex to come up and Sally have four verses that I'm sure you are familiar with as we close this morning. See, the Bible tells us in Romans 3.23 that all of us have sinned, every single one of us. We've all messed up. Even I've, I've talked to people who believe they haven't sinned before, by the way. Uh, oh, I've never done that. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, wow, you're more perfect than I am. Uh, you know, but we, we've all messed up. We've all sinned. And then <coughs> in that sin... What did God do for us? Romans 5, 8. God proves his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That in our sin, right, that we couldn't clean up to get to God. And, 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 and that is the difference between Christianity and every other religion. Don't, don't, be, uh, don't be deceived. Right? Not all religions, not all highways lead to heaven. Okay? Only one, Jesus Christ. And, and the difference between Christianity and every other religion that says, hey, you're going to go up this mountain to God. We're all going, oh, it's okay. We, you know, you just go your own path. You'll eventually get there to the top. You keep going. All right. No, like I said before, Christianity is the only one where Jesus came down from the mountain to us. And that's the difference. That's the difference. He was, he was our substitution, as we talked about earlier, amen, on the cross. And then what, what about our sin? What did... Romans 6.23 says this, for what we've earned, for the wages, what we've earned because of our sin is death. And that means eternal separation from God in a very real place called hell. But, but, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Aren't y'all, aren't I don't know about you, but aren't, aren't you glad that it didn't end at the comma? It didn't end at the comma. But, the gift, and the gift is something we don't deserve. God gave it to us. The gift is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord in a real place called heaven. And then how do we get there? By saying what you did on the cross, Jesus count is enough for me, counts for me. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says it this way. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised you from the dead, you will be saved. This is believing, again, accepting that what God, what God did through Jesus on the cross is it counts for us. And then it goes on to say, one believes with a heart resorting in righteousness and one confesses with a mouth resorting in salvation. If you've never done that, I pray that you'll do that today. You don't have to do it right now. If you have our, our song, do it you know, afterwards. Come see somebody. I'm sure someone, anyone in this room who does have a relationship with Christ will be glad to share that with you. Amen. So thank you again for being here today as we sing, Miss Sally.